Welcome back to the show, Get You Some Productions Podcast, episode 60. We are a podcast covering all things related to music production from the first note to the last fan and everything in between. We create music and inspire others or seek to inspire others to do the same. Uh, Every episode typically is a live business meeting between my partner Dan and I uh, as we attempt to build a music empire right before your very eyes and ears. This show is a little bit different. It's uh, an ongoing series called Book Club. And um, today we're reading, and we have been reading the same book for quite a while. Uh, it's called Unlocking Creativity by Michael Beinhorn. And... Uh, it is a book for music producers uh, to help with managing artistic relationships, but I th- and actually and and with the general craft of music production, it's a very fascinating, interesting book, and it is chock full of amazing information. So, um, and we are reading it and discussing it live on the show. Uh, and I guess the idea is, as we learn, you learn. And um, so hopefully we are learning and hopefully you are learning. Now this is actually uh, uh, a later part of the series. We've actually gotten up to p- chapter 5. And this is a uh, this is a part 2 of a conversation that went long. And so I split it in half. So this is part two of a conversation where Justin and I discuss just a piece of chapter five of this book. Chapter five is a bit of a beast. It's about 50 pages long. And so in order to give it the coverage we felt it desired, we split up our episodes into uh, multiple sections. And this is part two of a conversation that covers about 10 pages of the book. Um, The all of our plugs and advertisements up front. This is a, a super windy day, and then of course, like there's tons of uh, there's tons of uh, gardeners in the neighborhood. So hopefully you're not hearing too much background noise, but there is a ton around here. Uh, anyway, um, advertisements quickly up front uh, are as follows. Number one. Please, if you wish to buy the book, please go into the description and uh, find the, the affiliate link and buy the book for, through the affiliate link. It supports the show monetarily through no additional cost to you. Number two, if you're buying anything on Reverb.com, uh, you can use our affiliate link as well, uh, also linked in the description, and that will pay us a small commission and additionally is no additional cost to you. So um, that um, helps us out. And it is uh, doesn't hurt you, except that you have to you know take the effort to go through and click the link. Um, also, because Justin is a guest, uh, Justin Wirtz, I've linked to his uh, businesses in the description, which are uh, the Dirty Dude Apothecary and Wirtz All Natural which are Justin's apothecary businesses. You can buy salves and balms and beard oil and uh, aromatherapy stuff and candles and such uh, through those sites. 
And also Justin's uh, musical project, Blank Baby, is also linked in the description. So please visit that out and check out his, um, his uh, music on Bandcamp. Okay, that was a long intro, and that's enough of that. It's really up to you. I have the time if you want to do it. Let's, let's keep going, and I'll, maybe I'll edit these into two. Okay, cool. So also on the page 65, you're not merely working with the artist. You're also establishing an unspoken contract with him. You're acknowledging that you appreciate the artist's talent. And this allows you to offer something beneficial to augment his work and take responsibility for your contribution to it. Sincerity and genuine enthusiasm are true gifts that, when shared with other people, are very p- powerful, contagious, and motivational. Hmm. So I, d- I don't have anything to add necessarily to that, except that it, it just felt like something that had to go out loud. Hmm. You know? Yeah. Um, and the fact that it is like it's a gift to someone to you know express your appreciation of their creation um what do you think you want to say anything else um then you don't you don't have to and yeah I, think- I mean i think it i think it really says it right there i don't think we i mean i don't have anything to add but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I just like how he, it's just a nice way to explain that, you know, you are true, that, that he's, you know, the producer, you're proving that you're truly in it. And when they accept that, you know, they're accepting of that and they're, mm-hmm. they're uh, it's you're agreeing with them, they're agreeing with you. Mm-hmm. So the next couple of quotes, I kind of want to do like a speed round mm-hmm. in one way. But uh, the next couple of quotes are actually, I think they're, these are some of the best quotes. So this one is fascinating on page 66, the top of page 66. Generally, about 50% of your job is done the moment the artist chooses to work with you. After this, it is up to you to demonstrate through the application of your skills that you are worthy of the artist's trust and respect. Um, this is really interesting in that like, I feel like this is true with almost everything in life. You have this, mm-hmm. it, once somebody has like a buy-in at the beginning, it's like things just go smoother, right? Yes. If you have the buy-in from the get-go. Anything you want to add? Um, no, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And then I guess you just got to keep keep up your... From there, it's just keeping up your end of the deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that goes back to the other thing. It's just funny. Said. I never like really think about uh, interactions such a in such like small detail. I know. Well, that's kind of the value of like this book and reading this book at all. Is like this guy has done so much. Th- he has done so much thinking about this that it really is like this whole book has been really quite mind blowing for me. Yeah, because it's really just like, it's things that I feel like maybe I sort of, my gut, in my gut I knew were true, but it wasn't explicit. But once he says them out loud, it's like, oh yeah, somebody somebody had to go through the trouble of writing this, thinking about all this stuff, and then actually writing it out so that you could 
understand it in a more concrete way, mm. you know? Um, also quote on page 66, once a project gets rolling, creative situations often on their own. The creative process is an organic and living entity that functions on its own energy and controls the players instead of the other way around. The creative process defies and deftly defeats the egotistical goals of those who desperately need to control every situation. I love this quote, actually. It's like the creative process is an organic and living entity that functions its own energy and controls the players instead of the other way around. Um, do you want to say something? I, I just want him to go into more detail about it. Well, I'll, I'll, I mean, yeah, I guess I can't expand on it personally, but I can say that it's like the creative process is sort of like going on a date or something, you know, you can't think, (laughs) you know, you can't, it's like, you can't overthink it. This guy wrote this whole book about the creative process basically. And it's like 275 pages long. And he's clearly overthought it in his own way. But this whole, this paragraph might be one of the most important paragraphs in the whole book, right? It's like, you can do all the thinking up front and you can do the reflection afterward. But once you get into the creative process, it's like, in some ways, you just have to give yourself up to it. Also, you know, you have to ride that, you have to ride the wave, you know, you have to ride that fine line between creating it and letting it guide you, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it's tough to keep egos out of, out of even creative process. This is why I wanted to, you know, go a little deeper on it. Yeah. Well, I agree. I mean, I get, you know, I guess the egos can subside if you've really like developed the relationship uh, correctly, assuming that, you know, this is this is one of those the quotes that we could probably spend a whole episode on, mm-hmm. like how do like to what degree does the ego serve the creative process versus mm-hmm. versus when mm-hmm. when it gets in the way, and how to know. Um, I mean, I yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I just think of it like as soon as you work it into a process, it's like, okay, here's the process. We're going to do these steps where like this, you know, as long as you, once you have a a structured plan, but I, I don't know. I need to know more details about what he's talking about. I hope he talks about it more in later chapters. Yeah. I hope so too. Yeah. So for the record and for the listener, we're actually only really up to this part of the book. So we don't really know what the rest of the book is about, although highly recommend it thus far. Mm-hmm. Um. Then uh, we'll just gloss over this one real quick. Because production is intended to address the unique needs of each artist, it is best not to follow a strict template. So you have to be flexible and, and kind of give the, each artist, you have to be able to read each artist. And I guess that's what the first couple of chapters are all about, is how to read, how to read the artist. Yeah, you have to learn their process. You have to kind of infuse it with your process, I suppose, is kind of what he's getting at. So this next page, page 67, I actually wrote in the margin, could spend a whole podcast on this paragraph. So I'm going to read this paragraph. Let's Mm -hmm. let's just, let's see how it goes. 
Find a general guideline specific to the artist and keep the process between you engaging, fresh, and in some ways consistent, yet occasionally unpredictable. It's important to keep the creative process from getting stale because artists are highly sensitive, intelligent, and often extremely analytical. Being so analytical, they are constantly and subconsciously seeking familiar patterns in work, behavior, people, and other areas. If the artist feels he, is, he understands or has analyzed your process, he can be, become distracted and bored instead of remaining open, and you might lose him. So I'll just read that middle bit. Um, so you have to keep the process consistent, yet occasionally unpredictable. It's important to keep the creative process from getting stale because artists are highly sensitive, intelligent, etc. So it's like you have to have a process, but you have to make it unpredictable at times. This is this, you know, this fucks me up when I read shit like this. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like, I don't know. It's like being in, t- it's like, it's like the part, this is the part of the process where being intuitive is is really the most important thing right yeah i mean i i think this is a given actually like Mm. for me like yes i i guess i'm very much a creature of nature you know i wake up at 5 a.m every day i try to get to bed around the same time you know like i have tons of routines but Mm -hmm. um uh you know, I, I always need to, to go off the rails mm-hmm. as well. You know, like there has to be some, some time built in. And I think I do the same thing for my students. You know, we have the same schedule. We have the same ways of doing things all the time. But every once in a while, you just got to be like having a free period, you know, or like, you know, uh, just doing so, or like throwing a different kind of project out them out of the blue. So uh, I I think it's a given and I just think that uh, it's great that he raises the awareness of it because some people can be like, yeah, I'm doing this. Like it's good for both the producer and the artist just like switch it up. Mm -hmm. I, um, the, this is um, sort of, this is related to your, um, your, the uh, number one, I actually think it's, it's really interesting. I didn't expect this to happen, but it's actually so great that, you are a teacher and because it brings a lot of insight to this specific book because of the because it's there is an analogy in there um which is really fascinating that i that i didn't anticipate um that's the one thing number two i read something interesting that students do best when they succeed 80 percent of the time so, and this might be something that's related to music. Like you have to succeed. You have to challenge yourself that 20% of the time, but you have to allow yourself to succeed 80% of the time to keep like your positive attitude going. Mm. But then you have to challenge yourself so that you're in a position to fail 20. It's like the 80, 20 rule, the Pareto principle, I guess. Cause it is, you know, 80, what I read was specifically 80, 20, mm-hmm. but I guess it's interesting that, you know, maybe, Maybe you could time it like every 10, every five, technically, if it's 80, 20, every, every fifth class is some, you know, just wild card, you know, and like from a production standpoint, like every fifth 
Um, I don't know how to break it up, but like every fifth thing that you attempt needs to be some kind of wild card. You know, of course, this is putting a very analytical spin on the whole thing, which is, you know, probably antithetical to what he's saying. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on it depends on every every situation is going to be different if you're, you know, in the mm-hmm. producer situation. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it could be every fifth time because that would just be a different routine. They're like, oh, I think we're going to change something soon. It's like, you know, then the artist will figure out that and they'll be like, oh, I could feel it. It's about that time that he's going to do something different now, you know, so. Mm-hmm think it's just you just gotta yeah play by ear yeah so that's exactly why i said that chapter fucks me up because it's like my my i'm so analytical that it's like my tendency would be probably to do exactly what i said i'd have this mental rolodex so like or i guess a running tally of like the things we've tried and I would have this like, you know, mental sort of accounting going on where it, when the fifth one comes, I'd be like, Oh, got to switch it up, you know, <laughs> which is, you know, which is also yeah. predictable. I don't know. I think you just, just, you know, be, uh, be lax about it. Just be like, okay, yeah, we can, we have a system, Feel it. you know, we just don't have to be terribly strict, you know, mm-hmm. like, I don't know. Yeah. It's actually, maybe mm-hmm. it's, I, I think, for me, what helps me actually just get, get through this type of thing, um, being so analytical, is focus more not on trying to generate um, ideas, but focus much more on the observational side of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a producer, just be an observer. Be an observer of the tone of the situation, right? And then let, let the situation guide you. Be open. Stay open. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, page 68, the bottom of page 68, I wrote in the, in the margin, this is a scary book to read as an artist, which is why I love it. It really challenges you in some ways. And this bottom, the bottom paragraph, I love the concept of cognitive dissonance. I love the concept of cognitive dissonance. So even just the, con- even that, that phrase by itself, in the case of working with an artist, Cognitive dissonance can be the result of anything that forces the artist outside of his comfort zone into unknown and potentially threatening territory with no map, compass, or sense of direction. He must operate without the intellectual process he has come to rely upon by instinct alone. This winds up being potentially terrifying, but ultimately it may be the most liberating thing that can happen to him. So, I just like that because yeah, you just have to like, yeah. I like it too. So maybe we don't even have to, it's just like the fact that he said it, we don't even have to go into it anymore. Um, Page 69. In the middle, he writes, uh, encountering music that was created and performed by people who possess no other agenda than the need to express themselves by way of something specific to their culture and incredibly foreign to ours can be a life-changing experience for someone who has been led to believe he must make music in order to have a hit record. Mm -hmm. So I thought this was an interesting thing to say, like there's music 
that was created. The, just the fact that he says there was, there's music out there that was created and performed by people who possess no other agenda than the need to express themselves. And I think what he's talking about is like, you know, indigenous, and I'll, I'll put in quotes around it, like primitive music mm-hmm. was created by people who possess no other agenda than the need to express themselves. I actually would completely disagree with this. There has always been ego. There have always been the alpha and beta personalities in life. Uh I don't believe for one second that like, you know, the drummer or the dancer in like, in like um, the jungles of Africa is, is motivated like they're motivated by their version of a hit record. They're, they're motivated by their, you know, desire, a survival instinct that, that has to be expressed in some way. And even their form of music, though we might look at it from the outside and say, this is somehow, you know, purer in some way, it, it is not. I think that they, their ability to dance and drum is, it's like the mating ritual, you know, it's like they are, they are, you know, manifesting that ability for the sake of making themselves look good, period. Right. And so, you know, and maybe it is spiritual, right? Maybe there's a spiritual aspect to it. Maybe yes. But I also think that ego aspect is always in there regardless of whether, you know, this is, these are people who operate within like the billboard hits system or not. Mm. I totally think that's, I think this paragraph is actually absolutely false. Although people can, you know, people's reaction to that music might be to think that that's true. Mm. Um, But I don't think it's true. I, I agree with you that yes, there's always ego. (laughs) I mean, there's always ego. There's that. Um, but I think like, if you talk about people that are, uh, just doing like their tribal music thing, I mean, that, I think it's something that is just instilled with them and they, they're cause they're surrounded with it. And you know, that playing music is, uh, you know, we don't do it to impress anyone or to be cool. I mean, it, when you're, when you play music, it feels like there is truly something carrying you, you know? Um, and I think that these, you know, like it's just something innate and part of them. And they, and that's what's, that's what is so striking about it. Uh, because, you know, like I think people who have like parents that are musicians and like, same in the same respect uh, the, the the kids grow up always drumming and always singing or like you know learning string instruments from a very young age um you know i think they go out and they they continue to play music like that and sure like in this in this society like if you can make a living off of it great so i guess more ego comes in but i think they experience it differently than you know i probably started playing music just because i thought because I, I felt something in the music that I was listening to, and but then when I started playing it, sure, it felt a certain way. But I mean, you know, I 
I started when I was uh, in, in middle school. So I probably also was like to be cool. And I think that, you know, I don't experience the same way that uh, someone who is just like music is a, an innate thing in their home or in their family and they grew up with. So I don't, I don't know if I agree. I, I think that okay. people that are doing the tribal music, it is generally just like they're doing it and the ego and they're, I mean, they're doing it because they want to influence the younger generations the same way that they were influenced and they just want to pass it down. And I think that's just truly uh, nothing but an innate great feeling that they get from doing it. And, and the feeling of sharing all that sort of stuff is uh, just as, uh, uh, just as great. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, you know what I think, so I think we have a healthy debate going and I will definitely concede to, <laughs> I will concede to one thing. Um, I, my, I, the, the way I expressed my, my viewpoint on this is that, you know, like it's, it's very black and white. And I, and I'll totally agree that there is much more of a gray area to it than, than what would think. And I think that I was reacting to his sort of him saying like, there's music that was created and performed by people who possess no other agenda than the need to express themselves. And I was reacting to that because he like said that with such confidence and presupposed that there actually is music that has no other agenda than to express themselves. And to me, that can't inherently be true. All music reflects like the, and actually all good music and all real art, I should say, like whether it's good or bad, any real art should also reflect the complexity of the human experience and so I'll, I'll be forced to admit that it's not like always all about ego, right? Because sometimes you play music and it's just, you're just in it, you know, and you're just loving it mm-hmm. and it's, and it's really, and it's the fun of it. And that's, um, that's the beautiful part of it. And it's not at all about ego. And there, there, you have plenty of moments like that. But I also think that there is always like, you know, a touch of ego in it inherently too, because because real art, whether it's good or bad, is always going to reflect the whole person. And the mm-hmm. whole person is going to, the whole person is always going to include a little bit of ego too, right? Yeah, absolutely. In very, right? So, okay. All right. So we basically, you know, we figured it out to a certain extent. Okay. Um, let's um, do a, let's just do a, like a real fast and get through these, okay. um, like a, a speed round. Okay. Page 70, bottom of page 70. Depending on how receptive he is, you can introduce the artist to various forms of body work, such as exercise, yoga, breathing, meditation, and healing. This will help him develop a deeper relationship with his body as a device in his creative toolkit, as well as connecting him to the physical sensations that he relates to the process of creativity itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, sure, great. Um, I, I also thought this is a, like a little bit weird in that you end up in a, you end up in a, a production situation, you're producing an artist and you're like, okay, guys, we're going to take a break and do some yoga. And like some bands are going to be like, yeah, great. And some bands are gonna be like, can you believe this jackass? Like what, <laughs> what are these? Like, we're here to like shred, you know? <laughs> so I can speak to that. Okay. Uh, 
being a teacher, uh, we, they, they uh, really promote in my school yoga. And uh, we even have a program, which I've yet to roll out, where the kids are supposed to do like a, like a short stint of yoga throughout the day. It could be five, ten minutes, usually from their chair. But uh, for some reason, we don't have a projector in my classroom, so I haven't rolled it out. It makes it very difficult for the kids to, uh, for us to do in unison, you know, without the projector or something, play it through in the front. There's like sign into Google Meet on our iPads and like do it like that would be ridiculous but we do do yoga once a week with an actual yoga teacher it's a teacher and she uh she does it with the kids and you know um at first a lot of them were resistant a lot of them thought it was silly and playtime and you know sure we i i cracked the whip and was like this is not playtime and you know they would fall down on purpose instead of keeping their balance and you know, I, I, I kept cracking the whip at them to take it seriously. And, you know, just last week when we were doing it, they were very focused. They were really into it. And they were all like, you can tell they were all their whole, all of them had a different demeanor uh, when it was over. Like they, and, and because of the way, even though they were resistant at first, and we've only done it a handful of times, really, um, like less than 10 times. Uh, and there already is like a subconscious buy-in where they're like, oh, I'm going to do that. And like, you know, they don't care about the goofing around now. I think they're kind of addicted to the way the actual poses and everything make them feel. Mm. So yeah, that's you cool. can just get them to try it. I don't know. You know I, I don't think it's nonsense, but I can see how you... How some band members be like, no, no, I'm good, really. Right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, and just there's just two more quotes. Okay. As the process unfolds, and the artist gradually understands that revising his music is necessary and normal, and that his input is essential to this process, he will choose to be more involved. Until that point is reached, you as the producer are the individual in this process with the most experience. Therefore, it is up to you to make the process stimulating and enjoyable for the artist and, and yourself. This is actually the last quote. I thought it was two, but it's, um, but it's just, uh, it's, it's split up on two pages. So, um, so basically, the artist it presupposes that the artist might not be quite ready to you know really dig in deep on some of uh on revising on being open to adjusting the material but the producer has to you know be the adult in the room and make the process stimulating and enjoyable for the artist and yourself as a producer um and sort of guide the artist through so I don't know if anything more needs to be said by, by all means d dive in. Uh, no, I think that's pretty common. And I think it goes back to the kill your darlings because, uh, you know, uh, if the artist is in this position, I mean, in the position that they're working with this guy, they're probably working on a record for a record label, which means they probably already put in a good amount of time with doing what they do, you know, writing what they write, learning to perform what they perform, putting the bands together, getting the gigs like they got this far. 
and they might think like, great, now it's just time to, you know, drop the bag and, and cash in. But, you know, then he's there working with them. And I, I bet I can only imagine that he gets uh, a lazy worker at first. But mm -hmm. then when he sees like, well, it's not about what you've done. It's about where, where you're going, you know, until he crosses that, the artist crosses that threshold. I could imagine that it's uh, very much, you know, it's like a, just like the human development process, you know, you have to wait until they can, they can up and, and walk on their own before mm -hmm. you let them get out in the world and do it, I guess. Yeah, I, 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 um, I agree, actually. I guess, like, I took this at face value, but I think you're, you're digging into it a little bit more. Um, like, let me think about it a little bit more deeply. Um, and I think that I think it's true that, you know, the, you might get an artist who comes into the situation, uh, like he says earlier in, in the chapter, um, he, he says, the artist deciding to work with you is 50% of the job. Um, or you're 50% of the way there because the buy-in is like part of the process on the one hand. Um, but on the other hand, you're selecting the artist to work with at all is, you know, could, could inspire the artist mm -hmm. to, to, you know, greater depths of artistry or could have the opposite effect, unfortunately. And it could cause them to think like this person wants to work with me. I'm the shit. I made it. I don't need to do any more work. Mm -hmm. Right. So could be both ways, I guess. And you have to sort of be like, you know, sensitive and on the lookout for both of those types of scenarios and how to, and how to deal with them. Yeah. True. Yeah. Very true. Interesting. Yeah, dude. So we finished that whole, so we've done 20 chapter five is a beast. Yeah. I actually, this is about where I'm at. I have like, two, I'm two pages ahead of you at this point. Yeah, so I think like we're 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 basically getting through ten pages at a time, yeah. more or Which less. Which is good because now it'll be fresh in my mind next time we talk about it. Because even one of the quotes that we let slide, I was reading the paragraph before. He's talking something about oh, whatever. I, I won't get into it, but I I think if I had reread it, I could have spoken more about it. But anyway, yeah, we'll well, we'll you know, be on the same page next time. Don't don't worry. We only have two hundred pages left to go. Oh, great. <laughs> Well, thank you as always for being on the show. It's really, these are fun for me. Um, and I feel like we're, we're definitely learning. I'm learning uh, mm -hmm. as we go. Um, check out Justin's stuff. Um, Blank Baby, uh, Dirty Dude, and Words Natural. We will include links um, like we always do. And if uh, you do want to buy the book, you can do so by clicking the link in the, um, in the description and you can buy it through our affiliate link and you will pay us a very tiny amount of money, but every little bit helps. Thanks again for being part of the show, homie. All right. Yeah, of course. Anytime, man. And thanks for listening folks. Okay. Later. Bye, okay. People, thank you for listening. Uh, this was the Get You Some Productions podcast, episode 60. Please like and subscribe, uh, leave a rating and review, all that junk. Please visit Justin Wirtz's. You know, it's hilarious. I mean, I don't know why I'm recording this outside. It's so idiotic. And as soon as I start talking, the wind has got to whip up. Uh, 
please uh, do all that stuff I just said. Please use our affiliate. If, you if you're interested in buying the book, please use our affiliate link to buy the book. Uh, it helps us out a little bit. And if you are shopping on Reverb.com, please use our affiliate link to purchase uh, any musical gear you might be wanting to purchase. All these things help the show out monetarily without any additional cost to you. You can also sign up at Reverb.com using our affiliate link in the description, and that will help us out too. Uh, they pay us a small commission for that. But, you know, as we always say, most importantly, please, um, actually before I say that, I should say one more thing. Please visit Justin Wirtz's uh, businesses, linked in the description as well. Wirtz All Natural, um, Dirty Dude Apothecary, and Justin's uh, band camp for his music, Blank Baby. Uh, and so that is it. Uh, but, you know, what we always say is uh, most importantly, uh, if you don't do any of that stuff, which is fine, um, what we hope you would do is uh, after listening to the show or even before listening to the show, uh, get out there and create some music, create uh, a new song, practice your instrument, even write down a song title, anything to get yourself started. And if you've done that, perhaps we've given you some service in this world, in this life. Who knows? I don't know. What do I know? I don't know anything. That's why I'm reading a book. That's why we're all reading books, to learn something. Now I'm just blabbering on. I'm going to miss you guys. <laughs>